Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, and this is on page 950 in the church Bibles. Romans 15 and verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Acacia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings." When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. A picture uh, gives you a snapshot in time, Uh, but a picture is a wonderful thing because it gives you a window through which to understand or to to have a way of understanding what was going on at a certain time, to see the world for what was going on. And as we turn back uh, in our Bibles this evening to the book of Romans, we are given a window through which to look at the early church. All of the New Testament is giving us a window through which to see the early church. But Paul, as he is writing to the church here in Rome, uh, we have come to this uh, last section of the book of Romans. Paul is finished with his instruction. He is finished with his application. And now he is uh, r- drawing his letter to a conclusion. But as he is writing on this more personal level, as he is writing about what he's planning to do, and as he's sending greetings to the church in Rome, Paul is still nevertheless telling us something that's very important for us to appreciate. He's helping us see what the early church was all about. And as we look at what Paul is writing to the church about, and as he is giving them a perspective uh, for Christian ministry, Paul is helping us to understand how the early church uh, was shaped and how the early church functioned and what it was that caused the early church to act the way it did and to spread the gospel so quickly across the known world. And so this evening we want to see that those who have been delivered from their sins 
have a responsibility to share what has been given to them with others. And this evening, we want to look at verses 22 to verse 33 to the end of the chapter. And we want to see how as Paul is sharing with the church in Rome, he is sharing with them uh, his own perspective of uh, how the gospel shapes the Christian life. He's, He's giving them a perspective as he appeals to what is going on beyond Rome. That there's something else that is happening that he wants them to look at and to consider. But he is also giving them a plan, what he plans to do in his own ministry. And then finally, Paul gives them something of his own plea for prayer. And so we can look at these verses in those three thoughts. We see his perspective, a plan, and uh, his plea. But we could also think about these three thoughts in a different way. We could think of them in terms of how Paul is calling us uh, to participate, to partner, or to share. The early church was characterized by their sharing. And as Paul here writes to the church in Rome, he's calling them to share. He's calling them to share in practice as what the Macedonians were doing. He's calling them to share in gospel ministry. And he is calling them to share spiritually in prayer. And so in this way, Paul is calling the church to function as one, as one body, and not to operate uh, indistinct or uh, separated from one another, uh, but to see uh, the larger picture. When Paul wrote to the church in Rome, uh, you remember that Paul expressed his longing to see them. Uh, He had wanted for many years to come to the church in Rome and You remember that Paul began his letter by saying he wanted to impart a a blessing to them. Uh, And he said he wanted them to be mutually encouraged uh, as they came together. But there was something of a barrier preventing Paul from coming. And it's here in chapter 15 that Paul begins to explain what that barrier was. Paul understood himself to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he had been sent to proclaim Christ to the Gentiles. But Paul was convicted that he had this calling of proclaiming Christ where he had not yet been named. Meaning by that, where Jesus was not yet believed. And so for a great deal of time, Paul had been laboring around the Mediterranean Sea. He had been laboring to bring Christ known in uh, the regions uh, around Acacia. And so Paul had been laboring for many years in this regard. And now Paul says that that work, that region of work, has come to completion. The churches there have been established to a point where Paul feels that it is now appropriate for him to look at other work. Uh, And now there's an opening for him to come to Rome. And so Paul has explained why it was that he hadn't yet come. He had been laboring from Jerusalem in the, in the southeast uh, up to uh, Serbia, basically. And he had been spreading the gospel over these last few decades. And now Paul says that an opportunity is presenting itself to come to Rome. But before he comes to Rome, there's another trip that Paul has to first make. It has a priority in the mind of Paul. And this trip is to go back to Jerusalem. And why is Paul wanting to go back to Jerusalem? It's because Paul has been laboring to raise funds to bring a gift, a financial gift, back to the church in Jerusalem. 
because the believers there were struck with poverty and hardship. You read of this hinted at in numerous places in the New Testament. Uh, there were a number of famines in the first century. Uh, and one of those famines struck hard in Jerusalem in the days of Claudius. But the Christian church in Jerusalem was especially suffering because not only did they deal with things like famine, but they lacked that support structure by being alienated when they professed Jesus as Lord. They were uh, uh, removed from a lot of those support structures of family and friendships that they would have once had. And so in many ways, the church in Jerusalem was vulnerable. They didn't have the, the safety nets. They didn't have the support of their peers. And they were struck with many hard things like poverty itself. And so Paul, you remember, is going around to these various churches seeking to raise funds to support their brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. You remember, for instance, when, Peter, when Paul met with some of the pillars of the church, with Peter and James and John, and they gave him the right hand of fellowship. You remember that they told Paul, but please remember the poor. And Paul writes to the Galatians saying, that was the very thing that I intended to do. The poor there is especially drawing attention to the poor in Jerusalem. Don't forget your brothers and sisters who are struggling. And so you read in many passages, for instance, what we were reading in the book of Corinthians, how Paul was telling the churches about the importance of raising funds to send this gift back to Jerusalem. And this takes priority in Paul's mind. I can't come to Rome until I first go to Jerusalem. I must present this gift to the church there in order uh, to support them. So you begin to see that Paul saw some great significance in this trip to Jerusalem. This, this gift was important. Yes, people were suffering. People were uh, facing hard times. But Paul saw something vitally important in this because it expressed the reality of their unity in Christ. This gift from the Gentile churches was an expression of their unity with their Jewish believing brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. And so Paul saw that this was an importance of giving expression symbolically that the two have become one. That the barrier between Jew and Gentile has been torn down. That in Christ there is one new people. And so Paul wanted this to be realized so that the church in Jer Jerusalem would be able to celebrate what God is doing in the nations. And so that the nations would not despise their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. But that they would be able to show forth God's grace in the way that they responded. And so Paul saw a great importance uh, to this trip. And so it takes priority before he goes on to visit Rome. Now we could easily miss the significance of that gift. Because after all, we might think lots of people are generous. When, when a crisis hits, when hard times hit, people know how to dig into their pockets. And they know how to give. And we can be thankful for that that people can be very generous with the resources that they have. 
But what you need to see is, is that Paul is not simply saying that the churches in Macedonia and Acacia were generous. But we have to realize the language that Paul is using here. He doesn't simply say the Macedonians were uh, willing to give. But what does Paul say? He says, but indeed they owed it to them. Not just were they eager and willing to do this, but they owed it to their brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the language of responsibility. That's the language of oughtness. They have a moral duty to do this. That's not the kind of language that we oftentimes use when we think about being generous. Someone might be in need and we might think, well, that would be a good thing to help them, but I don't have to help them. If I feel like helping them, I'll help them. I might give uh, something to them, but I don't feel like I have to do it. But Paul here uses different language. He's really impressing that this is the right way to respond. This is the appropriate way for the Macedonians to respond. And why is it that they should respond this way? It's because of what Paul has been teaching them. He says, when you think about what you have received then you realize that what you have received is so great that you can't not share what you have been given now with others in a material way. What is it that the Macedonians received? Well, the Macedonians, by nature, were people without hope. The Macedonians were people who were living without God in this world, people who were ignorant of the living God by nature, People who did not know the living God and did not know the grace of God. And it is the message of Jesus Christ, the message that God has brought salvation from sin and from the judgment to come through his son, that they have come to discover that they can be reconciled with God. That they have come to realize that there is the hope of eternal life. That they have come to realize that they can be received into fellowship with God and be welcomed as children of their heavenly father. This is what they have received. Salvation from sin. Through the gift that is in Jesus Christ. And how did those Macedonians receive it? It was through the message of the gospel. But the message of the gospel that came to them from Jewish believers. It's the church of Jerusalem that sends out missionaries. It's the church in Jerusalem that sends out messengers proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so churches in Corinth and Thessalonica and Philippi are being planted, composed of both Jew and Gentile, but they are hearing this message of good news. They are hearing that God has given them, in his generosity, salvation through Jesus. That Jesus, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. And so we have received the blessings of God in Christ through the message that has been communicated to us. And now Paul says, indeed it was appropriate. Really they owed it to them to remember their needs in return. If we have been blessed, then it's really our responsibility for us to bless those in return who have blessed us. 
That's what Paul is getting at here. Yes, people can be generous, and we're thankful for that. But Paul's language here is going beyond just a willingness, an optional kindness. It's really here a mindset, a perspective that says, I have received, and now I, I need to give. I need to share because God has blessed me. And Paul here is highlighting that they have an obligation to their brothers and sisters in Christ in, into uh, Jerusalem. So we can recognize the virtue of generosity and helping others in need. But it's only when we are thinking in terms of the gospel that we'll have this moral duty attached to it where we say, I need to do this. This is something that is owed to others to give I am under obligation. Isn't that how Paul began his letter? Paul began by saying, I am under obligation to preach the gospel, both to barbarian and uh, to Greek, both uh, to the free man and to the slave. Paul saw he had a responsibility because God had shown his grace to him. Now he needed to show it to others. He needed to tell others. And that was shaping the way of the Christian Paul. And Paul is also highlighting it's the way that the church is to be shaped as well. They have received, and so they should remember their brothers and sisters who are in need. They have received so much that they cannot afford to not share with them. So Paul shares a perspective that characterized the Macedonian church, this great collection that was taking place in the first century, ultimately a gift that is going to be coming to Jerusalem to help those who are in need. But Paul also shares something of his plan. He plans to ultimately come to Rome. And he tells them he has two reasons why he is coming to Rome. And the first reason is is because he wants to go ultimately to Spain. Spain brings us to the western boundary of Europe. Think about that. By the middle of the first century, the gospel has gone from Jerusalem To Spain is what Paul's intention is. That it is stretching across the known world. It is spreading rapidly. And this message is uh, one that is not only going out rapidly, but is being embraced rapidly. What else is interesting about this is that there is no evidence in the first century that there was any large uh, settlement of Jews in Spain. Uh, the Jews didn't, don't seem to have settled in Spain until a couple centuries later in large numbers. And so when Paul plans to go to Spain, he's not going to be able to go to the synagogue and to create a base, uh, a core group of those who have been inheritors of the scriptures. He's going to begin with laboring amongst the Gentiles. And so when he says, I want to go to Spain by way of you, it, it seems that Paul is intending that Rome becomes his home base. Earlier, Paul used the church of uh, Antioch as his home base of operations. When he did his missionary trips, he's going back to Antioch. That's his church that supports him. But now as he's moving westward, as as the arc of his ministry is expanding, he's using Rome now as his, his base of operations. And he is, he's trying to share this perspective or this plan with the church in Rome saying, I want you to support this work. You're an ideal situation 
You're ideally located to support the expansion of the gospel westward, to be able to reach the Spaniards, or as Paul is laboring to call them, the barbarians, those who are not really embracing the Roman culture or the Greek culture. Paul is saying that the gospel can reach them as you support that missionary work. And so here he is saying that he ultimately wants to go to Spain in order to spread the gospel. And so Paul is stepping back here, isn't he? He's helping the church in Rome to think about what is, what is the big picture that we're aiming for here? The church of Rome isn't to simply focus on themselves and their own city, on their own needs locally, what they can see around them. Yes, they have to focus on them, but the, the focus goes beyond them. And Paul here is saying that the church should be concerned about the expansion of the gospel, about the spreading of the gospel, and of supporting those who go out to proclaim the gospel. So that's why in verse 24, you see he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there. The word there when he says, and to be helped, is the word to be equipped. To be equipped, that is, financially He's asking the church to financially support him as he goes to Spain, that they would become supporters in that way. His vision, his plan is to bring the gospel to Spain, but he needs support. And he is calling on the church in Rome to be supporters of that. They who have become spiritually rich in Christ ought to be willing to give up their physical riches in order to cause others to be spiritually rich as well. And so Paul here is explaining why he hopes to come to them, that he might ultimately go uh, to Spain and to be able to share the gospel uh, with them. And so we should ourselves, even as a church, uh, we should long to be able to support a work beyond our doors. We're a small church and our means are limited. But that doesn't mean that we should only restrict ourselves to what goes on in our city. We should still be thinking about the spreading of the gospel in other parts. And that should be part of the plan of the church, of seeing the, the, the gospel proclaimed locally, but also further afield, and to be supporting and partnering in that. And so Paul explains this is his plan, and he's asking them to share in that ministry. But he also highlights that he hopes to come to Rome as well to be refreshed uh, by them. I, I hope to go to Spain once I have enjoyed your company for a while. To enjoy your company or to be satisfied. You think about when you uh, sit down to eat. If you have a good meal and you eat to your heart's content, then you're satisfied when you're done. You, you feel filled Paul's using that same kind of language to describe the coming together of Christians. Now, granted, Paul's going to meet some people he's never met before, and there's a certain uh, uh, novelty in meeting new people, and there's an excitement in that. But Paul is still saying that there is a sense of refreshment that comes with gathering with other people of like mind and faith. To be able to no longer be uh, battered about or no longer to be uh, harassed about your faith, but to be able to simply be refreshed, to be encouraged, and to be able to be exhorted to press on is something that is refreshing. 
And Paul here, as an apostle, is saying, I need that myself. I want to be refreshed by the gathering together of the saints. And that is something that Paul has labored at throughout this epistle. Uh, the importance of not living the Christian life in solo, but of doing so with the encouragement of others. And part of the reason is, is because life does come with so many heartaches. There are so many struggles to the faith. There are challenges. Paul was not immune to them. And so the importance of being held up and encouraged by others is something that is important for all believers. So we should look forward to the gathering together of the saints. Not just because the Bible says don't neglect it, but because we say this is actually something that I need. This is something that is going to encourage my soul. This is something that God says is for the upbuilding of his church. And so it is important that God's people look forward uh, to the meeting together to be refreshed and to be satisfied. So there's a perspective that Paul shares. There's this great collection happening for the church in Jerusalem. What's that telling us? The people who have been the recipients of God's blessing now want to share. They want to encourage and to bless others. You see that practically in that financial gift going to Jerusalem. Paul shares something of his plan. I hope to go to Spain. And he's calling on the church to share in that ministry by financially supporting them in order that the word of Christ might be made known to others. If we have come to believe in the Lord Jesus and we believe this is good news for all people, then it should be a priority that we want to support the spreading of God's word. But Paul also calls one other thing, uh, a sharing in the spiritual struggles uh, by a plea for prayer. And in verses 30 and following, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul uh, appeals to the church in Rome. And you notice how he does appeal there. Again, you see a Trinitarian emphasis to the way that Paul talks. When you pray, you are praying to God by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Holy Spirit. Paul's still speaking of God in a Trinitarian way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he is appealing to them to pray for him on the basis of their common confession of Jesus as Lord. He is our Lord. We commonly have this unity together. And on that basis, he is asking them to pray for him. But also on the basis of the bond that they have in the Spirit. The love of the Spirit that has been poured out in their hearts as they have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is to be the, what propels them to pray. According to God's will, they are to pray, uh, as uh, Paul here uh, expresses. They are to be united then in that bond of the Spirit uh, and praying on that basis. Again, think about what Paul's saying here. The Apostle Paul who could stand before thousands and preach, who was willing to be stoned, to be shipwrecked, 
who is willing to travel the known world, says, please pray for me. Because Paul was a man, because Paul was frail, Paul knew that he needed to be prayed for because there were real struggles. And if Paul could say, please pray for me, then we should realize that we all need to be praying for one another because struggles are real, because temptation is real, because opposition is real, because the faith is hard. And so we should be praying for our elders. We should be praying for myself that we wouldn't compromise on the truth, that we wouldn't grow silent in declaring God's word. We should be praying for the church that the church will be united. We should be praying for those who are young in the faith, that they would be nurtured and matured in the faith. We should be praying for those who are mature, that they would be a godly example to one another. We should be praying for one another because there are real issues that we need prayer for. And you notice that Paul does that. He gives concrete things that he needs prayer for. He prays first that, they, that he would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Paul has not forgotten that there were death threats on him. Paul escaped from Jerusalem uh, when there were people that were trying to kill him early on in the book of Acts. Now he's going back to Jerusalem and he's asking for protection, that he would be delivered uh, from those attempts. Uh, Paul does not suffer from a martyrdom complex. Paul's not hoping to die. Paul's not hoping that trouble comes his way. He's asking for the church to pray for him, that he would be rescued from those troubles because he is a servant seeking to carry out God's will. So he prays to be delivered, but he also prays that the work would be accepted, that the, uh, uh, his service in Jerusalem would be acceptable to the saints. Why would anyone in Jerusalem, in the church there, not accept this gift? Well, if you read in the New Testament, you find out that the church in Jerusalem was very conservative and they were still wrestling with the issues of the ceremonial law and the ongoing nature of the Mosaic economy. Do we still have to circumcise? Do we still have to observe these feasts and these rituals, these ceremonies? And there was uh, a lot of wrestling going on in the church in Jerusalem over these matters. And there were some that were suspicious of what Paul was doing. Is Paul compromising as he goes to the Gentiles? So when Paul comes back with this gift, there could be some in Jerusalem who look at this with suspicion and say, this looks like bribe money. This looks like Paul is trying to force us to embrace and endorse his ministry. And Paul is praying and asking the church in Rome that this gift would be received rightly, that it is recognizing their unity in Christ, that it would be recognizing not as some kind of bribe or intimidation or trying to coerce them, but rather that it would be something that unites the church in that sense. And so he prays that it would be received rightly, and then ultimately that he might be able to come to the church in Rome and be refreshed. Notice back in verse 29, he says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Jesus Christ or of the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
What he seems to be saying there is he's saying that when I come from Jerusalem, when I have brought that gift, and I see how the church in Jerusalem receives it, and I see how the gospel has impacted people's lives, it'll radiate in my face, and that I will come with the fullness of that joy, that the gospel changes lives. And so as Paul is praying, he is praying for these things, and he's asking the church to pray for them in concrete ways that they might entrust these things to God's care, that God might work through them, and that they might be able to trust in him. At this point, this snapshot in history, Paul has no idea how things are going to work out. We have to turn to the book of Acts to find out what happens. When Paul does come to Jerusalem, the church receives him gladly. When he comes to Jerusalem, he is delivered from the unbelievers in Judea because of the Roman tribune and ultimately because he appealed to Caesar. But because he appealed to Caesar, he ultimately comes to meet with the church in Rome. And when he does, it tells us he took courage and he was comforted by the saints. We don't know how God is going to answer our prayers, but we can have this perspective that is living to the glory of God. If we have been the recipients of God's blessing, then we can live as those who are called to live in response, sharing what we have been given, that the church of God might be built up. The church here, as Paul is describing it, was one that shared practically with their material needs when a church was faced with a famine and hardships. They shared the gospel, and they partnered in that expansion of the gospel going westward to Spain. But they also shared by praying with and for one another. And that is what characterized the early church. How did the gospel take over the Roman world? It's obviously the work of God. But it is the work of God's spirit that shows the blessings of God being given to those who are needy. They have been enriched far beyond anything they could have earned and anything they could do. And now they're simply living in response to it. When we have been given so much, it changes and shapes the way that we live. It changed the early church. And so it should shape us as well, that we would be people who share with one another in practice and in prayer and in the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would bless us individually and corporately, that you would shape our perspective and that we would be people who think not only of our own interests, but of the interests of others. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to partner in the advancement of your cause of making Christ known to the nations. And we pray, Lord, that we would be committing ourselves to praying with and for one another. Go before us now. In